With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Welcome, everyone, to the Blood and Mud podcast. I am going to sort of sing the entire episode. I'm not really. You'd be glad to hear. I would appreciate your commitment to that, though. Can you well, imagine? Yeah. A musical episode. We should do that one time. What, like that episode yeah, of Buffy? Yeah, exactly like that. With, like, just as attractive <laughs> people in it? Well, yeah, with, with uh, we're equal, absolutely on their level attractiveness oh, wise. Of course. So, yeah, yeah, and talent-wise. So, you know. So anyway, anyway, welcome to Blood and Mud, the podcast that wonders what Italy actually do in training. Yeah, what is it? What are they for? <laughs> we will find this out later. <laughs> um, I'm Lee. Hi. Over there is Josh. Hi. How have you been? Nearly yeah, didn't right. record tonight. I nearly didn't record. I was having. I had, I had a, it was all on top in work, and then it wasn't. Which is always nice. Yeah, and so here we are. Uh, Let's take it, recording a podcast before the Pro 14 weekend has even finished. Oh, aren't Munster playing... Munster are playing Cardiff tonight. I guess that's why they uh, call it the Blues tonight. Yeah, in uh, in the very first ever Pro 14 Monday night kickoff, which everyone agrees is a total fucking waste of time and a shit idea. But, you know, telly, innit? Monday night football. Yeah, Monday night ding, rugby ding, football. Ding, 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 ding. Because the good thing is about sort of 
having a game on Monday night is that it's not going up against anything else sport-wise in the UK that is going to attract a lot of attention. So it's great for... <laughs> During the football season. Yeah. Uh, Premier yeah. football seems to be on every night, three it's times a con- night. It's just on all the time. And half the time you've got to pay for it now, 15 quid. On Sunday, a game kicked off about 8pm or something. It was really I'm, ama- I'm amazed as to how late Premiership football is going on these days, and also how late just rugby's going on these days, and how much rugby was on this weekend. It was an absolute fucking movable feast. The rugby and the football will never end. That's what you need mm. to know. Hundred percent. So, did you watch a lot of never-ending rugby this weekend, or what? I did. Yeah, it was a lot of it, and it was uh, some of it was very good, and some of it was very bad, and some of it was in between. Still mostly indoors. Yeah, mostly, yeah, yeah. I'm locked down now, of course. Of course you are, yeah, yeah. But I have I've, to say... I've, I've, effectively, I've effectively been locked down since, you know... I did break lockdown on Sunday oh, because my wife's got one of them PCP deals on a car. Oh, yeah. And we suddenly came to on Saturday and went, this fucking runs out on Monday. We've got to, like, make a decision whether we give oh, it back fuck. or what. <laughs> so we had to, like, have a quick dash to the garage to try and see what we wanted to do about it. And let's be honest, I mean, there's nothing worse than buying cars, is there? One of the worst things imaginable. Because my wife's like, I don't care. So they look mm-hmm. at me, and I'm like, I care even less. <laughs> yeah. Don't be assuming because I've got a penis, I care about four-wheel things. <laughs> yeah, I, I we got rid of one of our cars uh, last month. We're it was touring just like, with that, cause lockdown and all that. Yeah. Well, we're both working from home now. It's literally, is it like, arguably, we don't even need one car, let alone fucking two. My wife actually had to go into work today because she's actually part of an organisation that's running swabbing sites. Oh, Jesus. So she was out there all day freezing day, yeah. conkers off because just to you know, keep them. She's the boss, but she had to go in and keep them all fired up. Obviously. But she's got, you know, an NHS fleece. Hey, <laughs> do you think they'll start doing NHS singlets? <laughs> Oh, I can only dream. But see that you know when they were sort of when certain organisations were sort of slightly cynically doing like iHeart NHS branded T-shirty things. Yeah, I'm looking at you, both the scarlets and the blues. Um, do you think if they, if they'd have made those singlets, I mean, I would obviously have bought one. Of course, without saying. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? Uh, Roots Rugby have got have brought have really revealed they've they've got some singlets on the way as well. Which you'll be all over. I've bought the t shirt. If you haven't already, I bought the t shirt. If you listen uh, to this pod, let's be honest, you're on you're on our side. Yeah, and you would like to support indigenous peoples in an actual way rather than yeah. dressing up like a twat like some people mm. do. So we get yourself over to at Roots Rugby on the Twitter. Get there, you'll find a link to their website where you can buy their merch to support. Two lovely women actually trying to take the gospel of rugby into indigenous communities in Ontario. Indeed. And uh, yeah, they've, they've got some good t-shirts, which you've obviously availed yourself of. They've just nice revealed their, ju- their jersey. Lovely and the Yeah. Oh, nice. Good. I've ordered a t-shirt, but it hasn't arrived yet. But um, yeah, I, I'm also dead keen on their new singlet. So... I'm probably going to have to double I can't bring myself that. to wear a vest. Much. The, only, the last time I wore a vest... I don't leave the house true. wearing one. This is true. Last time I wore a vest was when I went to Download Festival <laughs> and ACDC were playing. So I wore a black vest and the newsboy cap to get in the spirit of things. I was going to say, like, it's pretty much uniform, isn't it? it? Like a bit of a twat. But I did it anyway. 
you got into the you know the spirit of the festivities, and you know that's what you got to do in those situations. I was fuming that year because ACDC were playing, and so were them crooked vultures, the Dave Grohl, Josh Holland, uh, yes, John, John Paul, Paul Jones. Jones yeah, I still like that album actually. That's uh, very good album. That yeah, they were on directly... Mind Racer, No Chaser, great song, great song. Yeah, Dead End Friends, great song. Mm. Um, was that the year that ACDC had to have their own stage? Just what I was just about to say, because <laughs> I desperately wanted to see them crooked vultures, but I had to walk all the way around that big fucking runway mm. that mm. Angus insists, uh, that Angus and the Geordie fella insist on, all the way around that to see them crooked vultures, then get all the way around the other side to where my mates were to catch up afterwards. And Brian Johnson, by what year would that have been? 2012, 11? Yeah, like there or thereabouts. He really couldn't sing scans. by that point. <laughs> we, were all, we were all going along with it, but he really couldn't sing by that point. Yeah, it's kind of like, did you ever, uh, 2010 it was, I'll just uh, add a look. Do you remember when B.B. Uh, King played Glastonbury about two or three years before he died? Was that when he was, 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 that, was he in the I don't get out of the chair Oh, I mean, phase. he was in that, he was in that phase for most of the last 20 years of his career, <laughs> but he he was... You know, BB King, absolute fucking, you know, legend of the guitar and of music, icon, etc. Apart et from the solo in When Love Comes to Town by you 2 <laughs> Less said about that. Where it throws to BB King and he goes, beep, beep, <laughs> beep, beep, <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> but that was, but BB King at Glastonbury was just like, oh yeah, absolute legend, main stage of Glastonbury, you know, sitting there with his guitar on a sunny day having a nice old blues. Except, I don't know if it was just his hearing just gone had gone a bit, or if his muscle memory had gone a bit. But he was bending everything sharp or flat, <laughs> and it was really hard to listen to. And it's just like it comes. Sometimes you just have a bad day. Do you know and of the you should stop aging, overweight legend sitting in a chair doing their thing? My dream, yeah. Continue. But- <laughs> <laughs> what we like to call this podcast. B.B. <laughs> um, King, not so good, but a man who did sit in a chair for most of the latter part of his career and fucking killed it was Solomon Burke before he died. Yes. And if, look at, if you're into like, a, if you like a bit of soul music and legends and all that, look up Solomon Burke doing Don't Give Up On Me on Jules Holland, mm. sat in a massive fucking throne like an absolute ledge. <laughs> I will say, even if BB's guitar playing was a bit rough that day, he still sang fucking fabulously right until the end. The voice is not talked about enough when it comes to BB oh, King. Oh, BB King's voice is unbelievable. Live at the Regal, man! What an album. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> speaking of the rest of speaking of uh, mute, it was my wife's sister's birthday last week. My wife's mm-hmm. eldest sister is visually impaired and uh, mildly learning disabled, and she's um, massively into Eurovision. It's her thing. Uh, yeah. And she remembers everything. Oh. So we did a Eurovision quiz. Fair play. For her birthday on Zoom, mm-hmm. which she fucking kicked arse in and, and wiped yeah. decks with everybody. But it's interesting because she's brilliant and hilarious. But I said to her, how many times has Ireland won Eurovision? And she said, what she, because of her the way her mind works, she couldn't tell me how many times. And what she could do is tell me every year they'd won what the song was. <laughs> and then asked me to add it up at the end. And actually, I just That's gave a, her extra points for that. One, because it's a birthday, yeah. and two, what a fucking performance. Oh, exactly. It's like, you, 
if you could not only remember how many times they've won it, but when and with what. Yeah. That's next level shit, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so that that was that was we did that Friday, and I was being a right grumpy twat about it as well. You know, fucking quiz, <laughs> and it was ace. I'm such you know a miserable what? sod. Yeah, well, I mean, me too. But um, I've I haven't done many of those uh, Zoom quizzes, but everyone that I've ended up doing, I've actually had a very good time. Yeah, it did. I've just been Don't fucking too often, fuck about it. I do no. like the idea that they just suddenly. They slowly dissolved away Zoom quizzes and none of us really spoke. Yeah. There was no policy decision. Remember there was that like whole app that suddenly became really popular for like about five minutes. Was it called House Party House or something Party, like that? which was riddled yeah. with viruses apparently. Uh, I can believe it. Um, and then instantly within sort of a month of it becoming wildly popular, it was... It slowly was, unpopular. it disappeared, it was never spoken again. Like Shane Geraghty. <laughs> the Shane yeah. Geraghty of apps. <laughs> How many caps do you reckon he'd have got if he was Irish? Well, if he'd, he'd just, you know, leaned harder many, into that surname. Been, it would have been the O'Gara. Yeah, that's true, actually. Tie, but he would, have been, he would have been the constant, until Sexton came along, he would have been the one that... He'd have been the core celebrity. <laughs> exactly. He would have been the ones that everybody had been demanding gets a go because he's much more creative than Rog. Yeah. The only thing I started watching this weekend to cheer myself up was I, watched Ken, I started watching Ken Burns' The Dust Bowl. Oh, I mean, I haven't seen it, but I can, I can guess what it's I mean, about. I mean, if you think your life like is shit, just watch that. <laughs> just live in the dust. Imagine if you want to have a bit of a moan about your life, just put on what happened in the <laughs> fucking Oklahoma panhandle in the nineteen thirties. Then you'll fucking well, you better stop moaning because they put up with some shit. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, it was entirely their own fucking fault for like basically ruining the environment that they lived in. But you know, yeah. That's still, America, isn't it? They didn't know Manifest that. Manifest destiny and all that. Black blizzards, man. What the exactly. fuck? Yeah. <laughs> days and days of dust just pelting your house. Because they dug up all the buffalo grasses on the plains. And then when the drought came, it all dried up into dust. And, yeah. Because obviously the grasses are developed for a reason, they realised yeah. afterwards. It was like the world's worst experimental law variation because it was you couldn't undo it. So... <laughs> Anyway, uh, anyway, love a bit of yeah. Ken Burns. I know you do. You still pay to subscribe to PBS? Just of course so I do, but it's not actually Burns. on. It's not available on PBS. Well, Think about it. You know where it is available? Bizarrely, where the My Amazon. Five app. What? In between, <laughs> you know, in between, in between, in between some of the worst programs ever contrived. In between alien spacecraft of the Third Reich, you've got the Dust Bowl, basically. <laughs> hey, now that one sounds great. <laughs> Um, anyway, can't pay, we'll take it away. That's a different kettle of fish. That just makes me think of Pauline Job Club. Can't yeah, pay, we'll take it away. People are like Pendros. <laughs> Do you want? They won't I, work. I despise... You give them a shake, and if they still won't work, you throw them away. <laughs> the fact that, that program basically is attempting to humanise bailiffs is grim oh. enough. Obviously, they're so cheap to make these programs, though, aren't they? But also the fact that it's got that jaunty title of like with an exclamation mark at the end of it, as if somebody having their possessions forcibly removed from them is somehow fucking funny. At least they didn't call won't pay, we'll take it away. Which I bet that went yes. round the production team for a while. I absolutely fucking bet it did. There's loads of those reality shows now where you look at them and you think, you thought of the title for that before you thought about making it, didn't you? I think they brainstormed yeah. titles for a while. Mm-hmm. 
I think they they basically go what's the, particularly from a Channel Five point of view they go what's the most like gammony Brexity thing that we can put on air? It's like Benefit Street and all that sort of shit. That isn't was Channel it? Four, right? That well. was Channel Four. That was, but yeah, it's that kind of awful fucking misery porn. That speaking of which, should we talk about rugby? <laughs> <laughs> you got in the head of it. Well done. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with us yeah. to say please shorten your introductions, will you? Yeah. Uh, you can get in touch with me at Blood and Mud or Lee at Blood and Mud dot com on the email either. What about you, Josh? Uh, at Josh Gardner at Rugby Shirt Watch uh, as well. Somebody once added me on Twitter and was like, "Can you not do what some podcasts do and like put like a time code in for when on, in the like podcast description for where you stop fucking talking bollocks and actually start talking about rugby?" <laughs> Uh, it's like, well, we could, but it would be very near the end. You'd want to be very near the end, and two, that sounds a lot like work. <laughs> it really does. Can you not just keep pressing like the plus 15 seconds until you hear <laughs> until the, the war animal cramp bit? Until you your finger, we still yeah. haven't got to the rugby, yeah. The war animal bit that you're here for, let's face it. Right then, we're also on ACAST, we're on Apple mm-hmm. Podcasts, we're on mm-hmm. patreon.com slash bloodandmud, where you can Absolutely come along are. and help yourself. I'd like to, I'd like to draw the attention to... It's a lovely listener, Chris Waned, who got in touch this week, and he's also a patron, good man. He said, it's my 40th birthday this year, and I was wondering I would, if you could complete the team of the 90s. What are the chances? <laughs> Magic Ball says... We promise, I was about we promise the next patron episode we do will be a team of the 90s episode. Will be a team of the 90s but episode. we're not going to be an old team. Come on, live in the now, Chris. Yeah. Could be worse. You could be in the Dust Bowl. Come on, stop moaning. You can do the two pounds a month, can't you? You could be in the dust bowl, stop moaning, or you can give us two pounds a month. That's yeah. <laughs> to be, anyway, you know, yes. you're probably so happy you're not in dust bowl. Give us two pounds a month, or you can pay for the whole year, actually, if you want to come on board and pay 20 quid for the whole year, because you get a bit of a discount if you do that. Yeah. And you'll just get all the extra stuff, like all the episodes we talk about regularly. And then you can also do the five dollars, which gets you a bit of a shout out and a mention on here. Mm. as the type of rugby player we think you are. So this week, straight into the VIP lounge on five quid a month, we'd like to give a big thank you to, and I'll start with Andy Hunt. Andy Hunt, a willowy fullback, played all his career at Selkirk and was known as the dropper. Not because his handling was poor, not because he fell over. Mm Mm-hmm but because he would drop his trues very early in every night out. <laughs> often every described, club's got one. Often described by teammates on tour as a liability. Every club has got one of those guys. Yeah, every, every group of friends of has one. Yeah, that's true, actually. What is it Most about... Most rugby clubs have got several. <laughs> actually, yeah, it's usually a competition. <laughs> that's why they start going so early, because it's basically a competition. <laughs> Thank you, Andy, for your contribution. Who have you got, Josh? Uh, I've got uh, Johan O'Sullivan, uh, who is an uns- an efficient but unspectacular goal-kicking fullback for Connacht in the early two- uh, 2000s. He was never less than perfectly professional and polished. Uh, he finished his Connacht career with an 85% kicking percentage and well over 250 appearances. Um, despite this, never named in an Irish squad, never even mentioned in the frame for an Irish squad, uh, even when they were like picking Justin Bishop for some reason. Remember him? <laughs> Some claim it's because he was an early adopter of coloured boots. Um, no, well, that's, the a bit, that's a reasonable position. 
The selectors in Dublin worried that he would be a dangerous anarchist influence in the squad. I'm with him. I think the day coloured boots crept into every sport <laughs> was a sad day for all of us. And it did seem to happen like overnight. Yeah, it was like, I think basically Adidas decided that they were going to have coloured boots in rugby. And so all of the players who mainly wear Adidas boots all of a sudden were wearing fucking Dayglow orange boots or whatever. Yeah. Even Alan wins in Dayglow orange boots now. Imagine. That's why people don't look at his head. Yeah, that's true, actually. It is distracting. Uh, right there. Thank you, Owen. And then we move on to this week, finally this week, Thomas Lancaster. Thank you very much, Thomas. Thomas the Bomber Lancaster. Of course he is. Of course, course he, he is. is. <laughs> was a gigantic second row for Roslyn Park. He played yep. six times for England in the 80s, but not in the good part of the 80s. <laughs> which was basically actually only about three weeks in 1980, so most of the rest of the 80s. He now owns a caravan park on the wash, and he treats the holidaymakers with what several TripAdvisor reviews call contempt. (laughs) I mean, yeah. yeah. Some people look for that in a holiday, though. And he's too big for people to kick off about it. Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? Um, uh, fine, just before we move on, but I'd like to shout out, you know, some people give more than they need to. Yes, the best um, people. The people who, in, who get automatically elevated into the heavenly hosts of angels. Mm-hmm. Well, this week I might have to create a different cloud because a lovely listener called Stuart Peter has given us a frankly ludicrous above minimum level contribution. So ludicrous, I messaged him to say, is this a mistake? This mistake. Because if so, I will refund you. To which point he said it, it it wasn't a mistake, but does admit to being battered at the time. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you can, walk this, you can still more. walk this back, but, <laughs> but I honestly, respect the shit out of this. Yeah, he told us to shut up and take it. So I'm not really shutting up, but I still, I'm so thankful. Thank you, Stuart. Indeed. I'm all for people getting too drunk and giving us too much money. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Uh, indeed. We begin as we always begin with a player spotted. Of course. This is a fucking belter because Nick Broad's emailed us, right? Nick mm-hmm. Broad. With a previously on player spotted update. Oh, hello. And some cracker jackers, absolute cracker doodle dandies of his own. You love to see it. A few pods ago, Nick says, you asked for someone to remind you who sent you the player spotted of when Phil Bennett was asked to sign a Chinese curry lid from a bin. <laughs> we did. Nick yes, says did. the sender... Fucking of course we did. Nick says the sender and the overly excited autograph hunter was none other than my younger brother, Chris Broad, <laughs> not the cricketer, my no. brother. He says, anyway, I was there when he scampered off to get something for Phil to sign and had to make awkward conversations to fill the time. I was only about 15, maybe oh. 16 at the time. So all conversation adults was with adults was awkward, but the sight of my much younger brother rifling through a bin when I tried to make conversation <laughs> with Phil Bennett was uh, another level of awkwardness altogether. Oh, that's lovely. He says both Phil and I recoiled momentarily in horror, horror when Chris <laughs> proffered the very greasy yellow steak curry lid. <laughs> said Phil, Phil quickly recovered and just took it from Chris, signed it with a lovely little message and autograph. Absolute pro. He says the pen never faltered. 
it was Phil Bennett's pen, so no surprises there. Of course not, because of that saying. He says, yeah, after a quick a quick all the best, lads, he was on his way. Crystal has that curry lid somewhere, and it's never gone off or mouldy. A veritable Which... holy relic of Welsh rugby. <laughs> I would say that that's an absolute testament to whatever the hell they were putting in Swansea curries in those days. <laughs> Anyway, Nick continues, my own player spotted is again Phil Bennett and is again in Underhill Park in the Mumbles. Jesus. He said it would have been about two years Are later. Are stalking him? <laughs> it would have been about two years later with my mates, probably on our way to getting up to no good. So I was more teenagery and attempting to be cool and insouciant as such. Mm-hmm. When I as twigged that Phil was coming in the opposite way, to talk, about to walk past us, I decided a manly, all right, Phil, would be the way to go. To which he responded, all right, lads. And with a mutual nod, it was all over in about two seconds. I like to think if I was famous, that's the level of interaction I'd want. Because you get a little sort of ego fluff from somebody recognising who you are. But there's absolutely no commission, like uh, no commitment, sort of no like imposition of time. There's just a nod. And, uh, and you you avoid hanging around while somebody gets a lid out of a bin. I mean, that's that's got to be a bonus. Yeah, it? that too. Nick continues. Mm. And he says, I decided to send that one in due to its mundanity rather than the tale of my awkwardly making conversation about Polish cryogenic chambers with Jamie Roberts while Jesus. we were both waiting to pick up takeaway orders <laughs> at a Japanese restaurant <laughs> on Cowbridge Road on the way home from work. He said it was excruciating, but Jamie was very nice and didn't tell me once just to fuck off, which I would have completely understood. <laughs> I mean, fair play, yeah. I mean, Nick, that is a fucking bonanza of a player-spotted submission. That's just got like, everything. We tip my, I tip my hat to you and your brother uh, again for the lid. Absolutely. But I tip my hat to you for, for both of those things you sent in as well. Honestly, like a double Bennett. <laughs> a double Bennett and a Jamie <laughs> Roberts in the Japanese <laughs> restaurant. Can't you absolutely can't fault it? Thank you very much. If you want to send a player spotted in, you can do it. My DMs are open. Josh's aren't mm-hmm. open. I keep getting yep. people asking me to ask you things because your DMs are open. <laughs> what the what the fuck do people want to ask me? Well, they want to tell you about where you can get your doors dipped. That was one reason oh, why people emailed yeah, me yeah, to yeah, say, yeah, "Can yeah. you please tell you desperate to get this through to Josh?" <laughs> uh. We've killed enough time now. We it is, last week, some of you may have noticed, there was no military animal of the week. No, and some people were quite upset about that. And, you know, rightly so. Yeah, because we filled the time with trying to flog a friend of ours book. Yeah. Happy to give that time, because he's <laughs> a lovely man, and his book is, is, a, is a reasonably lovely book. So let's uh, go back to and reinstate into its rightful place this week's military animal of the week. Damn straight. Ben Eustace. Has mailed us, mm-hmm. suggesting we take a. He said, "Take a look at Judy." I thought, "All right, Judy the pointer." He says, <laughs> "I said, all right." So I looked up Judy. And I simply oh. found on on Wikipedia Judy bracket dog, dog close bracket. I mean, what do we know about what do we know about Judy, Josh? Well, she was a ship's dog, uh, of course, during the Second World War um, and before. Because you know all of these, all of these animals were Second World War adjacent. Let's face it. Um, 
She was, st- she was born in uh, Shanghai in 1936 uh, and was a ship's dog aboard the HMS Nat and the HMS Grasshopper, uh, both of which, I must say, shit names for boats. Yeah. Just not, not intimidating. Um, she served uh, before and during World War II and proved able to hear incoming aircraft, providing the crew with an early warning system. Uh, and then after part of the crew transferred from the Nat to the Grasshopper in July 1939, when the ship was sent to Singapore after the British uh, declaration of war, uh, she was on board during the Battle of Singapore, uh, where they went and was sunk, and then they had to retire from there to the Dutch East Indies, uh, and were, they were sunk on the route from Singapore to the Dutch East Indies, and she was nearly killed, having been uh, trapped by a falling row of lockers, and then was only rescued when a crewman returned to the stricken vessel looking for supplies. So, uh, I mean, she's a nice-looking dog. She's a pointer, purebred yeah. liver and white pointer. Get yeah. this, though. She ends up on a ship. Yeah. She ends up on a ship because there was basically every ship had to have a mascot. No, before before the shipwreck, she ended up on the All ship right, yeah. because apparently trying to get fucking sea people to get on your boat was quite tricky. So everyone got All a right. dog to say, oh, come on, this ship, we've got a dog. And the first ship she went on had no dog. So like, fuck, somebody find a dog. So they found Judy, and on she came. <laughs> Little did she know what she was letting herself in for. Yeah. So yeah, she gets she gets fucking shipwrecked. Ends um, up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. Yeah, marooned on an island for a bit, by the way. Oh yeah, found um, a, found a water source for everyone. Yeah. After nearly saved drowning. saved everyone's life. And uh, and yeah, as you say, gets 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 made a prisoner of fucking war, which seems a bit much. Yeah, and, and, uh, and they were going to get... Well, she wasn't technically a prisoner of war. She ended up in a camp because she was smuggled in. All of these dogs get smuggled everywhere. I want to know... How are they smuggling? I want to know this. A pointer is not a small dog. Do you remember when I wasn't on that week and you and Robbie did that fucking massive South African dog that was smuggled in somewhere? It's like, how on earth have you smuggled I'm, that anywhere? I'm pretty sure they just put a jacket and a hat on that guy and... Scooby-Doo style. Scooby-Doo style, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but especially how do you sneak it into a prisoner of war camp? Like those things should... You'd imagine the security there is relatively tight. Certainly they should be tight enough that you can't fucking smuggle in a bloody, you know, three-foot-long dog. And also, at what point during the war did people start to clock on that like animals were a good thing to have and didn't need smuggling and you could actually openly have them? <laughs> Because every every story of these war animals involves just somebody finding a dog on the street and going, "I love this dog. I'm taking it to the army with me," yeah. but having to like hide it under it in its underpants or something to get it into like bloody Catholic barracks or something. Yeah, but apparently the crew uh, the crew when they were taken to, as uh, prisoners of war was originally held in Padang. Uh, she was trans she was smuggled on the transport trucks that were moving them between prisoner of war camps, hidden under empty rice sacks, which. I mean, yeah. I mean, they were not doing. As I mean, we all know what Japanese prisoner of war camps were like. They were not nice places. Um, no. And various people who were looking after her died um, quite soon after. Uh, and then she met aircraftman Frank Williams, who uh, adopted her. And she, brilliant name. Uh, and leading aircraftman Frank Williams, which is even better. Yeah. Uh, he adopted her and shared his daily handful of rice 
with her. Uh, in the camp, Judy would intervene by distracting guards when they were administering punishment. She was the only animal to have been officially registered as a prisoner of war during the Second World War. And after Frank Williams' intervention... she distracted uh, the guards? They were about to leather uh, somebody and then went, oh, Judy, stop licking your ass, will you? What was I going to do then? <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. Apparently, uh, the guards would often threaten to shoot or... Uh, Judy, as they growled, as she growled and barked at them, uh, and then uh, this Frank Williams guy managed to convince the camp commandant, who was drunk on sake at the time, um, to sign the registration papers um, for her to be an official prisoner of war. She was made an official prisoner of war. Yeah, so that meant that they couldn't just shoot her. Uh, And yeah, he was pissed as fuck, and they basically said, we'll give you one of her puppies if you... uh, if you make her an official prisoner of war, um, anyway, yeah, yeah, go on. and yeah, and, and and carrying on her proud record of warning of bad things uh, at the camp, Judy would alert prisoners when Japanese guards were coming, uh, and also would alert them for snakes and scorpions, which very helpful, um, and would also bring back rats and snakes and other things that she'd killed and hunted for everybody to eat, which given that they had like a handful of rice to eat every day. Like the was... They tried to train her to point when the enemy was coming, but she never <laughs> was quite good enough. Or she never did. She couldn't be asked to do that. And the only thing no. she would point at was food. <laughs> I love that she was this army dog who just wouldn't be trained other than to point at like some butties when they were coming past. Yeah. Um, again, there's some genuinely remarkable shit about Judy. Uh, they were transferred to, um, from uh, Padang to Singapore in 1944, this group of prisoners of war. Um, and the ship said that dogs weren't allowed on board. But uh, Frank Williams managed to teach Judy to lie perfectly still and silent inside a rice sack and effectively become a rice sack. Can't point at um, the enemy, but can lie still in a rice sack. No. Yeah. And apparently for three hours, the men were forced to stand on deck in searing heat. And for the entire time, Judy remained still and silent in the bag that was slung over Williams's back. You don't see that bumper sticker on the back of a car, do you? Dogs you die really in hot don't. rice sacks. Yeah, um, as, it, as it turned out, though, um, the ship that was transporting them was actually torpedoed by uh, a British uh, submarine, the HMS Truculent, um, which so, fucking hell, lads. She uh, survives and, and, the war. Yeah, she gets pushed out of a porthole um, and dropped into the sea. Uh, And over 500 of the 700 passengers on board the ship didn't survive, but she did. Belter. So she survives the war. Yeah. She becomes a bit, she wins the medal, like they all fuck it, all the old. Also, this is the point that her and Frank Williams, uh, because he gets recaptured, um, but she didn't. but they were not reunited. But he, all he had were these stories of a dog that was helping drowning men reach pieces of debris to hold on to, which in oh. itself is just fucking hell, whatever. Um, uh, yeah, and so she'd been found in the waters by other survivors and was once again hidden from the Japanese, but they were taken to different camps, so her and Frank Williams were like, they didn't know. Um, and then he'd given up hope of finding her when he arrived in his new camp, but then after a month, um, they basically um they were somehow reunited uh and, then and, she, she, and they were they had a year in sumatra picking fruit in so horrendous brings, conditions he brings her back to the uk right and this is another early example of how veterans were treated like shite she gets put yes. in quarantine 12 quid does. it costs 
Frank has to pay 12 quid. After everything yeah, she achieved, in nobody days. would fucking fork out for a quarantine. Anyway, so he couldn't afford it. So an advert went in the paper. In addition to the Tail Waggers Club magazine, <laughs> belting. Yeah. Who basically fucking raised the money. And in the end, he gets she gets the medal and everything. Yeah, she dickens up, as we all do, as all this. these animals do. As part of the 1946 London Victory Celebrations, Judy was interviewed by the BBC. I'd love to hear a recording of that, by the way. <laughs> and also the pair... Quite the pair, one-sided, I'm guessing. The, the pair appeared on stars on at the Stars of the Blitz and the Battlefront event held at Wembley Stadium in front of 82,000 people with, with other Dickie medal winner, Rob. The two dogs have become friendly, actually. Ooh, cheeky. Mm. And at Wembley, uh, but then when a borzoi bit Judy backstage, fucking cheeky bastard. What? What? Rob came to a defence, and as a result, as a result, the borzoi's borzoi's appearance was cancelled. Foreign yeah, dog, fuck you. Foreign sounding dog, get out. <laughs> so anyway, he spent he spent the year after the war visiting POWs relatives who had not survived. Honestly, there's Imagine so that. much... Knock at the door, uh, Judy's just, coming round. Yeah. Sorry for your loss, but why don't you have a stroke of Judy while she's here? I mean, and and they met David Niven, which <laughs> is said, lovely. Who said, <laughs> that, who said that she was the... You've you got to imagine it's the David Niven yeah, voice, yeah, haven't you? Yeah, the loveliest, loveliest bitch I've ever clapped, out, clapped eyes on. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, she obviously she did. Yeah, she did. Not after they they tried to, uh, they went and worked on a government funded ground nut food scheme in East Africa together. Oldest story in the world. Oldest story yeah. in the world. That it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, so, so she, died, uh, in she died in Africa at the age of yeah. fourteen. Buried in good, her R- buried innings. in her RAF jacket. <sighs> With her That's campaign it. medals, the Pacific Star. 1939-45 star and the defence medal. Frank, God, Frank loved this dog. <laughs> Frank good. spent two months building a granite and marble memorial in her memory, which included a plaque that told of her life story. <sighs> in Tanzania. It's apparently in quite bad disrepair now. But uh, still, I mean, what can you say? Judy the dog, everyone. Have Just, a read of the, honestly, the Wikipedia page is very detailed. It's remarkable. Have a read of it. But also just, just dogs, man. What can you say? Dogs in war. Yeah. They should just have a standard issue of a dog for every soldier, I think. <laughs> keep morale I mean, up. And would, they'll be shaggy like hell and it, fighting, but you know what I mean? It's Oh, like nobody's business. But would it make soldiering more entertaining? Almost certainly, I would imagine. Improve morale, yes. Yeah, absolutely it would. Goes without saying. So there you go, Warhammer of the Week. Judy mm. the dog. Ugh. Guess me, it really got me that one. Don't know why. I think it was just, it was the, the what's his face, Frank connection. And the fact that he it thought just, he'd lost her. Yeah. Make and a wonderful film out in the second act. Yeah. Like he'd lost her the third act, the reunited. Yeah. And then he's and they they're together for the rest of his life, and then he spends two months hewing a grave out of granite. <laughs> imagine that montage. <laughs> imagine that as a montage in the film. Who would play I mean, Frank Williams? Um, 
That fucking See, the one with the the weak face. What's he called? <laughs> I was thinking, do you go weak faced boy or do you go? I saw. I could see a Nicholas Holt doing it. Nicholas you know? Holt. Who's the one who plays Loki in the Thor films? Uh, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, I've got that kind of vibe I mean, going on. Maybe. Or if you want a bit of rough, I mean, no, Gerard Butler. Yeah, maybe he's too old. I was going to say Gerard Butler, old. but he's just—he's way too old. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy does everything else. Why not? Why not? He could do it in his Bane voice. Yeah, he could. If I learned one thing in the last year, it's that falling into debt can happen to anyone. Luckily, I heard about the ISI, the Insolvency Service of Ireland. Their professional advisors can help you restructure or even write off your debt. The first thing they said to me was, every debt problem has a solution. I can still feel the relief. So if you're worried, visit their website backontrack.ie or free text get help to 50015. The ISI. Together, we'll get you back on track. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Anyway. <laughs> yes. News time. Rugby? News time. News time, news time. Josh. Mm, breaking. Breaking yes. news, go. What's the breaking news? Uh, breaking news. For some reason... And I say this with all the incredulity that it deserves and with greatest respect to everything that he's done as a player. For some reason, Lloyd Williams has been called up to the Wales squad. Has he? Yes. Who's injured? Um, They're not saying yet. Basically, the first anybody knew about it was when he wasn't in the Blues team that he was supposed to be in this he's evening for the game. He's 32 now, Lloyd Williams. I like Lloyd Williams. Yeah, player. I like Lloyd Williams. He is an absolutely rock-solid Club level scrum off at this and you'll point always in his have career. that fuck, fucking. Thing he'll always have that moment. Well, yeah. He'll always he'll always be a hero to all of us. But what on earth has Rodri Williams done to upset <laughs> Wayne Pivak? That it's the hair. Yeah. It's all it can be. <laughs> I think I don't think it's a. I think he might only be in camp to make up the numbers. But uh, come and be a tackle someone back, has a please, niggle, so you can get covered basically. in aerosol generating stuff. Get yeah, yourself nice and coveted, Lloyd. Yeah. Basically, yeah, that's exactly it. Josh. Um, but yeah, so maybe, who knows, maybe he's Wales' starting nine at the next World Cup. Late bloomer, will it the Willie Hines of Wales. <laughs> we'll come to that. <laughs> uh, Josh, mm. what do you and Tony Rowe have in common? Um, We both look like we've never walked past a buffet that we've never... <laughs> <laughs> no, visited. you both hate England, it would seem. We found out in the news. <laughs> yeah, not just us, not just Tony as well. Uh, you know, the whole Exeter setup just just, just despises England. Which... Because he keeps stealing their breed, the breed cattle that he's... Uh, what did he say? We've bred these players. Yeah, there was a, there was a weird 
players of livestock metaphor going on there. Didn't take him I long though, did it, to assume his position of like <laughs> content chief of the of the, of the domestic rugby. Thing. Yeah, he's called he's called England greedy, um, which basically it's basically a rite of passage when you become a inverted <laughs> yes. commas big club, isn't it? Yes. It's like everyone, you know, Leicester did it back in the day, Wasps did it, Saracens do it. You know, you get to a certain level of domestic success and you start to make noises that you're not going to, you know, that you somehow feel like you deserve to be more handsomely compensated than you already are for the release of your players for like five tests or six tests a year or however many tests it is that you that they might actually miss. I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm laughing. I just had a text from a mate with a link to Matthew McConaughey's Guide to Life on The Guardian, which is Zen and the Art of Torso Maintenance, Matthew McConaughey's <laughs> Guide to Life. And my mate's comment, as he sent to me, is simply daft cunt. I mean, yeah. It's, I, I would imagine that makes about as much sense as James Haskell's book, to be honest, and a very, very similar subject matter. <laughs> yes, very true. Um <laughs> Yeah, and you know what made me laugh about this thing? It's basically the usual stuff, isn't it? England have got our players yeah. for too long, we pay them, blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um, however, in the midst of it all, he kind of skewers his own... Well, to be fair, I don't think he's ever actually done this narrative, but he skewers the narrative around his club by saying, I mean, we're one of the more wealthy clubs, so we're fine, but the smaller clubs will be fine. <laughs> so, oh, well, there you go. You just skewered your own fairy tale. Well, not yours. Yes. You've skewered the fairy tale narrative that people have fucking spewed up all over you for the past two months, basically, by admitting that you're loaded. Yeah, and also, you know, he said, oh, half our squad came through the academy. What, just half? <laughs> that, that again? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they've also he also said that they don't. We bred breed them, good and locks. they've come through. The yeah. other half we didn't breed. Yeah. Murdered them. We don't breed Killed good fullbacks, and we don't breed good locks. Which, given that Jack Noel started off as a fullback, is a bit harsh. And the ones, um, ones that don't make it, we throw them in the sea. <laughs> Bounce them off a rock on the way down. <laughs> yes, and there's no duty to rescue them. Uh, it's just weird. I mean, it's it's. You know, English, the, the the reason that this is happening now and the reason that they're kicking off now is because the £250 million deal that the RFU and the club signed a couple of years ago, only £120 million, uh, for player release, only £120 million of that was guaranteed. Um, and the rest of it is basically revenue-based. And given that the RFU is basically broker than almost any other organization you can think of on planet earth <laughs> i would imagine that they are getting dramatically less money now for their england player I'd release to see their than they were a couple of years ago the rfu is that a good line that one going down like a fucking cliff <laughs> it was going up it no chair up really, I'm, afraid really it, high. It I'm afraid it isn't a good line no <laughs> But in 2015, it was all the way up here. How did it go down? We don't talk about that. <laughs> Rob Andrew is unavailable for comment. <laughs> still, I've still yet to get a satisfactory explanation of where all that money went. <laughs> yeah, we don't even work there. So. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's it's you know tale as old as time, isn't it? Club wins everything. 
starts throwing its weight around, demanding to you know basically control everything. Kelsey yeah. Priest. I think there's Fuck also off. the fact that aren't they without their England players now until about March 2022 or something? Because yeah, I'm not really... without sympathy in that regard because <laughs> yes. World Rugby has turned around and gone. Uh, yeah, lads, we're just gonna make the international calendar double the length in the autumn. You're all right with that, yeah? Cool. See you later. Which, yeah, I mean, obviously they kicked off about in France so much that they ended up having to sort of put, uh, you know. Sort of, time limits on how much each player could play, which which they've now wasted one of them on a pointless game with Wales, but whatever. Well, you would say it was pointless, wouldn't you? Well, that's <sighs> absolutely pointless. <laughs> pointless. Not the only point talking about it, it's so pointless. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there you go. So Tony Rowe, you and Tony mm. Rowe have something in common. The buff- yeah. Well, two things in common. The buffet thing and the hate in England thing. Yeah. Uh, the moment, um, go on. Amazon are apparently uh, in chats with uh, the Lions and with the Springboks about doing a joint tour documentary, which I guess would be an all-or-nothing kind of affair, which is a shame because the All Blacks one was fucking rubbish. Um, And most (laughs) of them have been quite meh. I've watched the Tottenham one. Mm. And you think, think about how Hollywood Mourinho is. Yes. And even that's still a bit dull. But then again, the two main characters are Mourinho, who is quite Hollywood, and Harry Kane, who, who is more like it's, Hollywell. He's really not. Yeah. I mean, the reality is modern sports documentaries get soft to get signed off, and therein they're fucking boring. But I don't know. I'm glad that... I wonder if... I don't know whether Ben Utley and the people who've done it in the past would remain involved with it from the Lions side, or whether Amazon would want... I would imagine Amazon will want their own people involved. I mean, because they own everything. They have their own production company and everything, don't they? Yeah. So I would imagine that the, if it, if it is the case that it's a fresh, you know, perspective, <laughs> they'll bring on Michael the Bay dog. in. His <laughs> <laughs> dog. It's not like he's making fucking blockbuster movies at the moment, is it? So. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just envisioning a Lions documentary directed by Michael Bay. <laughs> Imagine the number of cliches there would be in like the pre-team. No, no, I'm sorry. That doesn't sound very realistic. <laughs> Say that we put our lives on the line for our comrades or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, a fresh set of eyes and a fresh approach to Alliance documentary, I think, after the last two, which have been a little bit kind of, eh, I'd be yeah. quite happy with, to be honest. But, I mean, it's cute yeah. that uh, and really heartening to see people acting as if this tour is actually going ahead, which <laughs> you've got to love positive thinking in the face of all evidence to the contrary. I've, I've, hey, I've had my gigs from where I, sh- I should be going to gigs now, seeing The Greatest Man on Earth mm-hmm. in the next two weeks, but it's been moved back to 2021, so this time next year. I'll tell you something, if I haven't sorted it by then, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. <laughs> I won't be able to uh, sort of say, well, at least I'm not living in the dust bowl, and I'm fucking I'll have gone. But yeah, no, that 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 at the at least I'm not living in the dust bowl thing. <laughs> it's only good for I'd say a best four or five situations, and then you. I just, reckon. Just lose yeah, its by potency. the time we get through to March 31st, that'll run its course. I'll have to oh, find 100%. another point yeah. of reference. <laughs> at least I'm not watching a Lions documentary made by Michael Bay. Oh no, that's going to be happening as well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they've said, you know, no fans, no tour. So, Oh, have they? 
Yeah. Well, yeah, well, because you literally won't fucking pay for it's stuff. Seen, it? Yeah. yeah, it won't. So, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Speaking of leaks, new, there's the, the top's out, isn't it? Uh, yes, it has been. It's a, a little baby, a little baby ween one has leaked. Uh, it looks very much like stopped. a Man United top, and I, for uh, one, am not here for that at all. I do not like the weird three uh, D lion graphic on the shoulders. I'm just going to put that out. And there. the massive Vodafone just makes me think of like the Vodafone is jai fucking enormous. Van Nistelrooy <laughs> period United. I'm not having it. That was one. Of, that was one of the things that somebody in the know basically said to me. It's just like. It, the the Vodafone logo is fucking massive, <laughs> which is not a good thing. And here ends Josh Rugby Shirtwatch review. It's very yes. short. What else have we got here? The moment is finally here, Josh. The moment yes. when you know there's been some big moments in in history, hasn't there? Splitting the atom. Hmm. Ireland seven Eurovision wins, as we've already established. Yeah. And now. Jack Willis is in an international squad. A moment of destiny. Yeah, the the Lions captain for 2021 is is where he belongs at last. Yes. It'll be interesting to see how... uh, Like when when Michael Jordan signed for the Bulls. It's kind of like that. There's something (laughs) you know what's going to happen. Yeah. The whole world opens out in front of us. Yes. He may even retire to play, you know, rounders for a season, then come back. <laughs> won't matter. It won't, won't shake him from being the greatest rugby player the world has Literally ever the world known. Has ever seen. Ever. Or he probably won't start. Uh, yeah, he might get 15 minutes at the end of a game and he'll probably look quite tidy. He's had a great season. He Everyone needs to calm the fuck down. Fucked. But he's had a great season. BT on the weekend were absolutely unreasonable. And he gave that penalty and, away. They didn't know what to yeah. do with themselves then. No, they didn't. <laughs> That's the thing. On the weekend, I mean, it was a fucking slog of a game in those conditions, but he was not that great. He, he won that, uh, he won one really he good penalty. He won that one turnover, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, after the line out. But, yeah, he was fine. <laughs> he was fine, because he, he is, yeah. he's had a good he's, season. Everyone he's had a really good season, yeah hasn't put on an England jersey yet. Let's give yep. him time. For his sake, as much as anything else. Fuck me, let's give him time. Other news, Gary Ringrose is out for six weeks. Yeah, broken, broken jaw. jaw. After that Ouch. sweet chin music that he received. <laughs> I mean, that looked bad, didn't it? Proper follow-through with the knee straight, well, really straight into his chin, look. basically, yeah. And, you know, he's he's vaguely important to Ireland, let's face it. <laughs> Yes, he is. Ireland have got a good crop of centres, but they've got nobody like him. He's also called Gary. There's not enough people called Gary anymore. No. I think the Gary with two R's is probably a little bit more popular in Ireland than. Gary and Barry seem to persist in Ireland in yeah, a way he doesn't anywhere no. else. Irish listeners, get in touch. Explain that. I just Because you know, it's a different country, isn't it? Different yeah. culture. I know, one, I know one Gary with one R who's 40. I know oh, I one know Gary. It. I don't know. Who I, I don't know any younger Garys. Uh, our Gary, my cousin, mm. who's got a massive head like a box, <laughs> and he's known in the family as, in Lancashire terms, boxy head. Our Standard. Gary. So yeah, that's Indeed. only Gary I know. I don't know. I don't know any Garys under forty. 
any yeah, does anyone own any Gary's under forty or any, or any babies being born last five years called Gary? Yeah. I bet not. There was a Barry in my there was a Barry in my class at school. Hmm. Barry Carruthers. I bet is he a plasterer now? Probably, dunno. Maybe dead. <laughs> you know, you know, people I went to school with, mate, honestly. Um but I'm sure he's fine. I hope he's fine. Um, is that true? I've lots of people you went to school with died. Or was that... Quite a few people I went to school with are dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dead or prison. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he was, so he would have been, he'd be 35 now, openly, assuming he's still with us. Um, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably Gary's the youngest Barry. Gary's and Barry's. Let's, 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 let's put a census out to the, Let's, Let's have a Gary polling. or Barry of the week. As Indeed. Well. <laughs> Add even more shit to the beginning. <laughs> well, the Gary of this week is Gary Ringrose, whose jaw is smashed. Yes. People always said it didn't look that bad. He didn't look in that much pain when he went off. But I've, I've told the story before about the lad I played with. He's, he went on the piss with a broken jaw. Didn't know it was mm. broken until he tried to eat a sausage at 2 a.m. <laughs> and then he went to the... They didn't make any teeth marks in the sausage and suddenly realized there was something wrong. <laughs> Because you can you can drink fine with a broken jaw. You can drink jaw. fine. He it's was just... talking fine. He felt like a bit funny because he did get whacked on the side of the head, funny enough. Yeah, he yeah, felt yeah. a bit funny, but he was all right until he suddenly realised he had, he had no purchase on his bite, which is not good. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, Any more news? Um, Saracens have confirmed that Allianz Park is now uh, Cop Hall Stadium. For an interim period, we'll see how long that interim lasts. Which is what it was called uh, before, because that's just what the stadium was called. It, it was like a, it was a municipal athletics track. Yeah, and then they just gave it to Saracens. Um, Dodgy shit. Um, Ber- Bernard Larue's been cited. Yes, uh, and <laughs> Mohammed Hawass, remember him? Yeah. Uh, he of Punchy Punchy. Is it Mohammed Uwa? Hawa, Hawa, yeah, why did I say it? I was reading it and it just came out weird. Um, yeah, remember how he, uh, there was some weird, mysterious stuff that went on with him at the start of the season where he got stood down for an incident. Uh, it turns out he's been questioned uh, in relation to a robbery of a tobacconist six years ago. I mean, that's which... pretty bad, but I, I thought you, it was going to go full fucking Mark Sessi on there for a minute. No, sadly not. Well, thankfully no, no, not. thankfully not. But thankfully yeah, not. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's set to appear before criminal court for questioning eight days before the start of the Six Nations um, for this robbery of a tobacconist six years ago uh, when he would have been 20. He needs to get so... on the phone immediately to Owen Farrell's advisors. <laughs> Absolutely. He needs to start doing a lot of charity work between now and... <laughs> Uh, Whatever his court date is. Yeah, and the 29th of January. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, it's it's, uh, not not a nice thing, obviously. And uh, yeah, he's not had a brilliant time of it since he punched. Was it Jamie Ritchie punched in the face? So long ago now. But, you know, let he who has not wanted to punch Jamie Ritchie in the face cast the first stone. 100%. But absolutely with him, 100%. Obviously... the other yes. big bit of news is that of, is that the Barbarians game didn't happen. Is that news now? Yes. Or is, is that something else? Well, ev- everyone forlockly tugging them their apologies uh, <laughs> is, is, is news, I guess. I mean, you can just see exactly what's happened, can't you? They've, they've really yeah. honestly wanted to stay in the hotel. And, and the then bar's some, closed. The bar's closed. They've all had four pints and there's no going yeah. back then. 
Someone just hammered that fuck it button. The, the four and... pipe fuck it button was absolutely smashed by all of them, <laughs> and out they went. Honestly, like it's funnier. Like it's not funny, but it's funnier because it's all of the Saracens players and it's delicious in values, a way. Hashtag Wolfpack. Hashtag culture. Who can't fucking control themselves for one for one three day period. Uh, and Chris Robshaw. I think he's who sort of wonderfully feels, Chris delicious. Robshaw feels like the guy... You know when you go on like a sort of work thing and you're on your own and you sort <laughs> of end up like... And there's a couple of people that know each other and you end up sort of attached to them and they've kind of got a weird rapport. What he's ended up is he's ended up with the twats from the sales team. That's exactly it, yeah. It's like you've gone to this sort of conference and there's it a feels like a bit a bullied of, and awkward. Yeah, and you sort of they are the only people you know, so you've kind of just hung around with them yeah. and then before you know it you just like it's Well they're making loads midnight. of inappropriate jokes about, you know Yeah, it's midnight, you're in a strip club and misses you misses everything. Yeah. It's that's basically it. Yeah. But they just went to a, a At least three of them are going to the toilet far too often. Uh, it's exactly that and I I feel for Chris Robshaw in that regard because I, I think he's I a very sensible I find it even more deliciously boy. hilarious, hilarious. because he's meant to be this lovely hilarious. wholesome lad that was meant to go and do that and then obviously and when you a little video it was supposed out, to be a swan song for England you know he was supposed to you know yeah. clap the Twickenham crowd that doesn't exist you <laughs> know was, um, yeah and it's yeah, the it's, video it's, does not help matters does it and to he's get, not exactly not like, He's not painted a picture of a timid man who's being led astray in the no, video, he's is really he? Really not. In the short video that's uh, been leaked. Yeah, it's like not just get getting go, breaking quarantine twice to go out on the piss is bad enough, but getting filmed doing so is a special kind of stupid. Like with a number with a number of private members clubs in London that a they bunch of Saracens and Harlequins to, yes. players have access to, honestly. Like, and it also just reminds you that the barbarians thing, if you remove the lure of a fucking seven day piss up, <laughs> players aren't that bothered. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, somehow, I don't know how, and I've got no evidence of this, but I know that this is basically all Jackson Ray's fault. Uh, he looks this, He looks like the instigator. He's just he? got he the just face of the a vibe. man who is, he is has caused the vibe all of, of an this. instigator. Yes. Yeah. Um, Sean Maitland, obviously involved in this, um, <laughs> has been has been placed uh, on the removed from the squad for COVID reasons, allegedly, <laughs> which is a funny way of saying for said reasons. Um, <laughs> honestly, removed from the squad for COVID bracket ignoring close bracket reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Any more news? Uh, um. No, I think that's it. Yes, so uh, yeah, the barbarians just dead. Oh well, it's a funny. Anyway, it is sad, isn't it? it but is it's a been bit sad. limping along, and I Honestly, think well, it might be. I a think kindness. it's been limping along as a because they still they play a lot of games that we're not aware of, don't they? That, that aren't on telly and charity. Yes, and they stuff play. And all they that. play a lot of charity games and a lot of sort of games with just amateur players, and maybe that's what it is now. I think it is. And I don't mean this in a bad way. Genuinely, a relic that should be protected and looked after, but it's just not. I don't think this is. It's going to survive this because who actually, apart from England, once a year does 
what top teams Very... actually played them now? Wales well, are playing, weren't they? The only, re- the only reason it really still exists is to give England and Sky a fixture to put on that Sky can pretend is a big deal while England can treat as a training match. I mean, but they, they half sell the stadium out at 20 quid a ticket, yeah. don't they, and stuff. It's you know, really it's, bizarre. It's, it's, you know, this has cost Sky and the RFU millions. And I'd be very surprised if... Because let's not forget, there's, you know, the barbarians that we know them in the British Isles are just the original barbarians. You know, the French bar, you know, a lot of the French players will play for the French barbarians. And, you know, there's the New Zealand barbarians and the Australian barbarians. You know, everyone's got a fucking barbarians. And... It's only our one that's still given the sort of mm. prestige that the fixture currently has. And it will be a shame to see it go, but unlike something like the Lions, I just don't see how it fits. Well, people aren't falling over themselves to spend money on it like the Lions, are they? That's where the Lions is no, different. No, exactly. The Lions well, would be gone you... if it was half full stadiums and nobody is. interested. The Lions still win or lose is yeah. still one of the biggest draws in international sport. So, But if the Barbarians do, you know, go the way of of the Buffalo, then it just paves what? the way for them to take what? up the place. Paid to be in killed the gr- with a horrendous <laughs> piece of ethnic cleansing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then it just paves the way for our global all-star game. As yeah. being the logical replacement say, for this it. This is just one you know? more barrier removed. <laughs> yeah. In like the inexorable barrier. Yeah, the Barbarians could be one of the teams in the Global All-Star game. It could be, you know, it's... Come on, Let's do the right happen, thing, guys. people. Do the sensible fucking thing. <laughs> it's, it's there on a plate for you. I won't even... I'll barely ask for any commission. We've basically proof of concept it for you. Yeah. It's definitely the best idea I've ever had. <laughs> Any more news? Nah, fuck no. it. Talk about the weekend now. We're only an hour in. Let's talk about the rugby that actually happened. Ugh, must we? Do we want to do? Do we want to do? Um, do you want to do the Premiership final first? Yeah. And you can put it off a bit longer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Exeter's ability to score tries every time they go into the twenty-two can still put the willies up teams even when they're not doing it. I was covering this game for the Guardian. Yes. And I was basically, every time they were in this way, too, I was like, well, you know what's going to happen now? Oh, no, it hasn't happened. No. But then I kept <laughs> saying, They're going to get a penalty and kick Wasp, a goal. If Wasp, keep, if Wasp keep going, you know, if Wasp keep giving these opportunities, it's only a matter of time before, <laughs> oh, no, it's not happened again. This is odd. I got very, very, very confused. I have to say that um, I think Wasp did an unbelievable job Honestly, I mean, don't get me wrong, the conditions were unbelievably bad, but the defensive job that Wasps did were was just scared. Like, I did not think they had that in them, basically. I, I remember, and I was thinking at the time, right, it's pissing down now, this will play into Exeter's hands a bit more because of their yeah, pack. Yeah, because Wasps then are again, the razzle-dazzle guys. But then I reflected on it, and actually... It probably didn't play into Exeter's hands because they like to do a lot of fast passing. Yes, from the, their, the, their speed of they? ruck. Their speed of ruck is very quick, and there's a lot of passing between forwards. Which, so they, as skillful as their forwards are, you add fucking pissing rain in a biblical sense, and a very slippery ball, 
and it just it does make all of that stuff and quite hard. Joe Launch be getting amongst them all all yeah, game. He really was amongst it, wasn't he? Yes. He felt like he'd he'd given himself one job that and it was to <laughs> yes. get amongst it like nobody's business. He did a magnificent job. And Wasps are I mean you can go back to Wasps there was like a litany of poor decisions by Wasp right then, wasn't there? They kicked to the corner. They then decided in those conditions to go right to the tail of the line out, which was which I mean he, I mean that poor it's... that ogre the sub he, he underthrew it either he got a terrible like... call or it's the worst <laughs> underthrow you've ever seen in your life because Johnny Gray just basically he only didn't have to be lifted he didn't even have to jump man he just put his hands up it was it was one of those moments where and it's it's interesting because that's what I said like it, it, you know. Exeter getting people's heads with their ability to score from, you know, pretty much any set piece opportunity inside the twenty-two, and they make teams think that they have to do it as well, and that's what happened with Racing last week, where they should have just taken the fucking points and had the lead, and instead they went for the corner and fucked it up because that in the back of their minds they were thinking. Oh, if they get a penalty, they're just going to kick the corner and score. Though, if they get the ball in the twenty-two, they're just going to they're just going to score. Mm. And so, instead of kicking the points, they were like, "Oh, we need a cushion. We need a cushion." Just yeah, it's true. Actually, I think there is something you know, in that. And then, you know, and psychologically, that ability to turn into an inhuman scoring machine every time they get in the twenty-two, it doesn't just work on the scoreboard. It works in the opposition's heads, and that's you could tell that was what you know. I know wasps wanted to win the game. But, you know, the most sensible way to win that game in those conditions was to do what Exeter had done for the first time ever, which was take the fucking points. It's, um, I think the thing is, what this... Exeter, have, they're, they're a remarkable team in many ways, and, and, and they deserve the kind of remarkable Absolutely achievement. Absolutely, they do. But what they are, I think, against Racing and Wasp, they're 5% better. Mm. And that's not a criticism... No, and it's in those five percent moments that kind of great teams are made, isn't it? Really, yeah. That actually, when it came down to that, those where Wasps just had to be that 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 needed that extra five percent, they just couldn't quite do it, and and they spent most. And it's easy to point to the conditions were awful, but Wasps had no territory in that second half. Exeter oh, were no. all. It was it was all. I mean, it was testament to Wasps that the score wasn't a bigger spread come the last five minutes because Wasps could get nowhere, and it was only that brilliant kick. Right at the end, that that got uh, out of hand, that got them up there, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And then there was a whole, you know, that moment when they fucked a lot the second line out up. Like they got that first line, they went to the corner, then they got the second penalty, mm. and that was the moment where they absolutely should have just gone. Yes. We just because, and I, I'm I'm firmly unless you're you need that to otherwise you're going to lose the game, like. I think there's a lot of sense in going for the second or third catch and drive. If you've been successfully repelled, it almost never seems to work. No, unless you're Exeter. Unless you're Exeter, obviously. You just keep busy <laughs> these Exeter, little two-metre passes onto yeah, people Exeter don't, don't apply to these sort of conventional learnings. No. But for a team like Wasps, Exeter have already taken your best fucking shot. You know, you weren't. You're not saving something in the bag in the fucking seventy seventh minute or whatever it is. 
for the second line out are you you know you yeah. had your best call and your best play and they repelled it and so it's what makes you the, think it's it's what follows kicking it isn't it mm. it's actually yeah but if you kick it you then get the ball back yeah whereas what happened immediately after the extra got a penalty they got <sighs> up to the, into the right territory they got another penalty they mauled the fucking <laughs> shit out then of them then when they got that that um line out in the last minute what did Jack Yendall do? He threw it fucking straight to the middle. The f- yeah. Front stroke, you know, an easy throw, yeah. but that would yeah. catch that. Yeah, just let's just eat the fucking clock up now. And that was the thing. I felt the option itself, as you pointed out, was a bad one because of the reason we just said. But then to actually have the option, then go, I know, and this sub is just going, the piss wet through. Try and go for the full fucking 15-meter <laughs> throw. It's It was... So, and it was that was the moment that... And Sam Skinner you know. had nicked a couple before that as well. It wasn't. Yeah, it's it wasn't, not like the lineup was fucking right, no, going no, it perfectly. Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't completely terrible, but it was enough. There was enough of it not going that well to not take that risk. But I suppose you go. They have been a bit shit or bust, haven't they? In a way. Yeah, and that was kind of the vibe that Wasps exuded for the whole game. Really, was shit or bust. <laughs> it's like this is you know we cannot really believe that we're actually here with everything that's gone on. And where we were at the start of the restart, you know, so fuck it, let's have a go. And it was it was very heartening in a way that you know that they had that much of a pop at them and they got that much success. But yeah, those were the moments, as you say, the extra five percent, that that sort of ability to disassociate yourself from the moment and just make the sensible decision is what separates good teams from great teams. And there is that bit of that Slade try was that's that. The game up to that point had been crap. I was right. I was like, "This is oh terrible." And I didn't, I didn't blame them for it. It become a kick fest because nobody wanted to take the risk of losing the ball and yeah, you know, take especially in those conditions. Yeah, it was exactly. Fucking atrocious. But then when it needed something magical, you had Slade, and that's yeah. that's that says a lot about that team, doesn't it? For all the Ian Wittens of this world, I'm not saying Ian Witten's a bad team. They've got that little bit, little bit of magic as well. And I don't begrudge Exeter's win. I don't begrudge their nah. achievements because as as players, nah. you know. They don't pick the fucking logo on the shirt, do they? And all that stuff. No, and they, I think I think that somebody who was sending a shit gun. I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was. Basically said, um, you know, never has there been a team more deserving and a club less deserving. And I think that's kind of how I feel about it. I think yeah. that, that squad of players, unbelievable, what they've done in the last few years, and particularly this season. Best team in Europe by a fucking league. I started to begrudge it when I, unfortunately, because I was working on it, had to sit and listen to the half an hour after the final whistle went. (laughs) And I start, and and through no fault of theirs, I start to despise them. Because I don't know if BT Sport need a new editor or something, because it is actually, it's borderline fucking undignified how much they just, have no sense of objective detachment at all from what's and their constant need to generate a narrative about every and now they're just very just on this quick shimmy from Saracens. It's very it's, it's very they're noticeable how questioning it's the same it's it's the same level of sort of feverish sort of cocking and glee that they used to expressed about Saracens in these occasions. They just they literally just fucking crossed out one name and put another one in there. And 
it's grim, man. It's like you said. We've said it before about the issue with BT basically being the only fucking outlet that gets any access to any Premiership clubs, players, or coaches in this day and age, bar you know the odd bit of local newspaper, because they are a broadcaster with a vested interest in making the Premiership look amazing, and so everything that is in any way vaguely negative or bad for the optics gets fucking brushed under the under the mat and it's it it was never more in evidence but it's than a, on, even on leaving Saturday. aside the logo thing it is just like oh, yeah. a very well funded well run club it's yeah. it's 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 nice that they've achieved this and they deserve it because they're well run and well funded it's not a fairy tale stop it Apply some level of fucking journalistic sense and logic to what you're saying instead of running away like you're some fucking children's storyteller. <laughs> I don't. I do wonder. I genuinely do him. wonder why people like whether the people who work for BT consider themselves journalists or thing, something it, yeah. else. Because if they are journalists, they're doing a fucking terrible job. Yeah, it's interesting. If they're just if they're just presenters, you know, then. That's yeah, fair enough, I guess. I still, I still want something a bit more grown up from my coverage. But I heard Nick Mullins been interviewed a few months. I like Nick Mullins; he's like a nice guy. Me too. He and, and he's a decent commentator. But and he made a big point about how you're not there to editorialize. That's what Austin and Ben are there for, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, but you do nothing but editorialize how fucking brilliant everything about rugby is. You, you don't describe yeah, just what's happening. Like, You're forever like, and there's that person. He's brilliant. And there's the fucking person who cleans up the toilets. They're brilliant. And, and, it's, <laughs> and, and I'm sure they are. I don't know. It's just, it just, I don't know. I don't like the way it's going, I suppose. I don't, I, I, I'm very uncomfortable as a massive cynic and somebody that sort of <laughs> is be, I mean, let's be honest. It could just be us. I mean, it, it's it very, wouldn't be the first time. So. No, indeed. I'm very, but I'm, I'm naturally very suspicious when somebody tells me something is amazing. Yes. And doesn't qualify it in any meaningful way. My instance response is to consider that bullshit. And that's kind of how I feel too much of BT's coverage of their own product is going and has been for the last couple of years. And it, and it, I think it's become more noticeable because of how quickly... Because there was a time when you could... Cause it's not, you know, it's Taylor's oldest time. Sky Sports used to do exactly the same with Munster and the Heineken Cup. Yeah, it's like, true. Yeah. It's, it's not a new concept. But what we all assumed was that, you know, BT just had a massive fucking hard-on for Saracens. And, you know, because it's packed full of lions, it's a sort of... It, yeah. They are a very... But then instantly, within the... You know, within milliseconds of the Saracens, you know... Edifice crashing to the ground and them getting relegated. You know, instantly they've switched in literally two weeks. You know, they've Saracens got relegated from the Premiership whenever it was th- three weeks ago now, and literally since then they've started using exactly the same script with Exeter. And it's if that's just what they do with the best team in England, whether it be fucking Exeter or Saracens or Bristol or Sale or whoever the fuck. It's not good for the league. 
It's not I, good for the game I just to have no critical it's, faculties. It's kind of dishonest. That's what annoys me. It's of not because, it and I'm not miserable. I don't want to be wallowing in misery every week. You can say that was a fucking amazing performance without then painting it to be something that it isn't. And then, and then, and it, and I wouldn't mind if it was, you know, like in the football, Ian Wright thinks everything's fucking amazing and he's overexcited yes. all the time. But then you have a foil to sort of say, well, actually, no, I, you know, that there could have been no, better. Or, rugby, like that's what. That's why people erroneously love fucking Peter Jackson in Wales because he's the only fucking person that ever goes on Scrum 5 and says things are shit. Now he's talking out of his arse and he's a fossil. But he's... People need... You know, that's why Graham Soonis continues to get work. And also it Despite doesn't being actually, a clueless, miserable bastard a lot of the time. It doesn't, in my, in any of my experiences, reflect the fan culture I've experienced in rugby or any other sport. Really, but even rugby. no. Rugby's full of people who are healthily very cynical and like to right, take the so. piss out of that, out about what they're watching. But yet the media is wonderful. And if you say, well, I think that's bollocks, you get accused of being miserable on social media. It's really odd. It's really odd. And I feel like there's, there's genuinely a sort of, a gap that BT and Premier Sports and all these people aren't, you know, people want somebody that speaks the language of the miserable fucking shithouse bastards Ben like edges us. towards it. He times. does. He's the cl- he's the only person that ever gets close. And but the thing he, is, that I'm I'm cynical to because I'm trying to have a laugh. I know it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. That might not sound like it, but that's what I'm trying to do, and that's what. Rugby clubs, in my experience, when I've spent time and with rugby players and rugby fans, I never stop laughing. Yeah. I never stop laughing because usually they're saying something funny, which is usually about how shit someone is or how, or something, observing something quite yeah. funny about the game. It's, 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 it's not a, a constantly kind of reverential, everything is brilliant and we love it so much and look at what it shows it, about the it human is, condition. It's a know? wonderfully corporate misinterpretation of what a rugby clubhouse banter actually is rugby banter and sport banter it's like sort of it's finding the sort of it's sort of trying to be kind of in a haskell sense jokey he's mad bantosaurus (laughs) rex etc without realizing that 99 percent of the banter in any fucking team environment in any sort of social environment is fucking ripping the piss out of things and saying something shit it's like they've never seen a fanzine when did like the, yeah. when did the media become this kind of thing that that is like you said a co- an extension of the corporate branding, as opposed to I don't know. Anyway, we could go about this forever, but it is just yeah. It's interesting, and, and, and without wishing to sort of sound fucking like a, the massive egomaniac that I absolutely am, <laughs> like you know that the reason that we exist, and the reason that fucking egg chasers exists, and the reason that all of these you know, unofficial, independent fucking rugby podcasts exist is because there is almost nothing in the professional sphere that actually engages with rugby in the way that most people who like rugby engage with rugby. And, you know, people say that we're too negative and we almost certainly are. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I we... we as you say, we take the piss out of it and we're fucking negative about it and we're cynical about it, you know, coming from a place of loving it. And I, I don't I, understand... I, that... I quite regularly take the piss out of my own children. And believe yeah. me, I fucking love my own children. I don't think that needs to be said. <laughs> I fucking love rugby. 
but I take the piss out of it. And I've got a yeah. healthy sort of um, disdain yeah. for people who don't want to. So. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think that a little bit of cynicism goes a long way, when it, especially when it comes to a sport that is actively trying to make itself slick and sanitised. Rugby is not a sport that can be easily sanitised. And it's a part of the half the fun of it is that fucking. It's a little bit ramshackle, exactly, and it's a bit and of a laugh. And everybody's taking the piss, and everybody's fucking. I don't know, man. It just it feels fake to me. It feels like somebody's painted on some smiles. I've never set it. I don't the, like it. The sex, any section of a crowd. Any time in any level of rugby, and be surround and been surrounded by reverence. I've been surrounded 100%. by people cheering and loving the win, but I'm mostly surrounded yeah. by people shouting things that make me laugh. Yeah, it's it, it's that kind of what is actual rugby culture is being sat on the terrace with somebody hurling abuse at the opposition scrum off. <laughs> yeah. That's you know. Or sometimes even your own scrum off because yeah. he's so fucking shit. That's what always used to clang with me about the that the deep, this whole point about the deep seated respect. And there is respect when you're playing because you can hurt each other, and that is acknowledged yeah. at the end of the game. You know, it's not said, yeah. but that's what it is. You know, we've got through that together. We've got through that, haven't we? We've not managed to fucking kill each other, and and isn't that good? <laughs> and we we quite like that about ourselves. But off the pitch, oh. It's wall to wall slagging off. Yeah. Usually hilariously it's, in my experience. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it doesn't even need to be funny. I'm the most I think I've ever <laughs> laughed on a terrace was when I went to watch Neath in probably about Oh, fuck me, maybe two thousand one, two thousand and two. It was whenever you remember Lee Beach who ended up playing for London Welsh at one point. I don't. Uh, it doesn't sound like play. somebody I should remember. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was a flanker. He played for Neath. He played for Ponty. He briefly played for the Ospreys, and he was not. I think he he captained the uh, the Rugby World Cup sevens team in two thousand nine in Dubai. He was the, but he was not having a good game. He was, but it was quite early on in his career. He's not good. And I just remember a bloke next to me. I didn't know him. He, we, they were lining up for a line out just in front of us, and he just goes, "Oh, Beachy." You bag of shit. <laughs> I, he was a nice fan. I was like, I, I don't know. It's genuinely, it's not, it's not a good joke. But I fucking laughed like a drain. Because it was just like... Disrespectful, Josh. You're not yeah. sure you're not going to It's the thing, though. Of his own player. Of a young player that, you know, would go on to Captain Wales to win a Rugby World Cup. And that's what rugby is to me. That's what rugby's always been to me. And I just don't get what Yeah. Why you'd want to sanitize that and make it look like everybody's fucking hopped up on happy pills all Come the on, time. People now smile at your etc. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we went off on one. Anyway, there. yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's because about, yeah, yeah. most people you see normally I turn off, but because I was working I had to sit through it all and I became I got a big piss on a rolling boil. But having to write for the Guardian, uh, like, this has just happened and that's just happened. All I wanted to write was, shut up, you fucking ass licking bastard. I got, I end, I don't know why, but I, I inflicted the entirety of the post game 
Champions Cup win last week and it was a very similar bag and I just felt very, very, very bored at the yes. end of it. Not as bored as people that listen to us wax about it, so let's move on, shall we? You. Six Nations is back. Boop, 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 yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, mind. Test rugby without fans is shit. Is like, it? obviously, we've been watching, we've all been watching sport without crowds for ages. And we, all, genuinely... knew, we all knew it, but it's now been confirmed that no rugby players yeah. can actually sing. No, well, this is very true. But like, and just the sight of players just belting out anthems to empty stadiums with not the tiniest hint of atmosphere. It was just so sad, man. Like, it made me genuinely a bit emotional at what we've lost. Because, like, that should be 80,000. Like, last time we were watching Test Rugby in the Northern Hemisphere, it was 80,000 people at Twickenham for Wales versus England and 60-odd at Murrayfield for France versus Scotland. You know, it was... I don't think we appreciated what this wonderful, powerful thing was when we got tens of thousands of people together to just sing a song. It's it just like, it, it made me feel... <laughs> it's, it started the match off, on a, uh, the Wales-France match off on a really bad note for me, and then it just got worse. <laughs> I um, I was at, I've been, I went to Murrayfield two years ago for the France game and experienced for the first time. I've seen it on telly and always been a bit goose pimply, but that bit when the band stops and the crowd just sing the second verse... Flowers, yeah. the piper stops. You know, it really is like nothing else. It's incredible, and I'm not even Scottish, and even I was a bit like that. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> you know, like when the, when I, the Japanese sang their anthem in the yeah. World Cup last year, and you were like, "Oh, there's something like incredibly yeah. epic and sweeping yeah. about it." You know, I just, I always think, I think it was the first time I went to a Six Nations game because I hadn't like I didn't used to go to many Wales games when I was a kid because. They were expensive. Um, so I'd mainly gone to like fucking shitty autumn international games against France, like Fiji yeah. or whatever. First time I went to a Six Nations game was Scotland. And we're up in the fucking gods. And you know when something's so loud, it causes your hearing to sort of distort? <laughs> yes. Like, I'll never forget, like, the glad bit of the anthem with a full fucking roof on Millennium Stadium with 75k in there. I never forget just the volume of it making my ears distort and but just never experiencing anything like it. And just the thought that that's not mm. I don't know when we'll be able to have that again. Maybe, you know hopefully we'll be able to have fans back soon, but to a sort of 80,000 level I've got no idea when that'll be, oh. and it made me really sad. Rumours of so, a vaccine by the end of this month. No, end of November. So. So. Fucking hope so, mate. <laughs> but, Although, uh, according to all reports, you've got a story at minus 70. Which sounds like, from a cold chain point of view, sounds tricky, but we'll find, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Everyone's going to have to go to one place where there's a really big fridge. <laughs> well, you can't go in it because you die when you walk in there. Yeah. It's a complicated business. <laughs> so, um, and so yeah, going back to Italy Island, which was was the first game of the Six Nations, I suppose. Um, oh man, Italy are garbage. Honestly, uh, Italy and Scotland both good, I guess, but it's really hard to tell when your opposition is. I mean, what are I didn't Italy see the Scotland for? Georgia game. I'm, I mean, I the Scotland the, the Scotland forwards. You know, I don't think we're going to spend too much time on it, but like. You know why? Because I was Scott. that was when I was doing the Eurovision quiz. Ah, see, I didn't have first. that excuse. I just couldn't really be bothered to be honest, because <laughs> I knew that Scotland were going to batter them, and they did. Because to be fair play, I watched the highlights, and Scotland's forwards 
they looked up for a challenge against the Georgian pack, which is from a sort of things they'd take away from that, probably the most useful thing. Everything, everything else, you know, was basically, you know, Georgia turned up and were exactly as bad as you would expect a team where, you know, officials are shooting players in the union. You know, it's... It, <laughs> It just, it was exactly as shambolic as that would. <laughs> rugby's hashtag rugby values hashtag, hashtag rugby's rugby values. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, Scotland looked very. You know, they looked well prepared. They looked up for it. Their forwards looked like they had a good edge, and yeah, fair play to them. And Ireland just beat what was in front of them. I think Which something that lot. resembles Farrell's team starting to emerge. I, I think, agree. I think um, the way that Keenan in particular kept popping up all over, I know you have to take the opposition into account by this stage, but that bit more mobility for the wingers, bringing extra yes. players into the middle of the park, the offloading. You know, it all and, felt it, a lot more lively than it did under and, the sort and, of tail end of Schmidt. And whisper it, the key to it all could be Jameson Gibson Park. Who saw that coming? He was a right little buzzing fucker. He was, when he, I mean, to be fair, Italy were really knackered come, by that point. But yeah, they he were. looks like the kind of he looked a he looked a little bit. I don't know. I'm doing this because it's Farrell. He looked a bit like a rugby league scrum half when he came on, all a bit he buzzy and all action to, and, yeah, and running the game he, a bit more. You know. Yeah, and little, little clever kicks just over the top yeah. and all this sort of stuff. It is. Yeah, he looked to the man of born a little bit, really, which I. I assumed he was already qualified and being capped, so I was quite surprised when they said he was he on for his capped. debut. I assumed he was nowhere near good enough for a very long time. <laughs> so <laughs> the, that won't be the first time I've made that mistake. So No, yeah. Um, but yeah, Ireland will want to hope that they play like they did for the last 20 of both halves, mm. as opposed to how they played for the first 20 in the second half. If, if, if Italy had something resembling a breakdown, and it wasn't even Ireland pissing them up or, or wrecking their breakdown. They just literally could not get people there in a pod it was, in any it was way that mad. resembled it was how mad given clear out. Given the back row that they have. Yeah. And then you had... Which is a very good back row. And you got Lazzaroni just... from Benetton in the second row, who's also effectively a really strong back row. Go. Yeah, exactly. There's not really any quantifiable excuse for them being that bad. Like, and they just, it was such a a weird performance for them because you really got the sense that they wanted to make a, a state, you know, picking the, you know, the young lad at 10. There was a sense that they wanted I mean, to do something different. The first two kickoffs, very good. The first two kickoffs he received, he shipped both of them inside. One to Canna <laughs> and one to is it Marisi? The other, the other. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, what are you doing? Because he kicks okay. <laughs> He's had. Two, he I didn't realize he. I mean, you know, I don't pay that much attention to Italian Pro 14 rugby apart from when I catch the odd game. Two games he started. Yeah. He's 20. They've it's obviously a, been tracking him a, through the, the ranks, haven't they? It's but, a, it was a seriously fucking ballsy move. And he didn't play genuinely that thought, badly. No, he didn't. He looked. He genuinely looks like he could be a very good player for Italy. And he put, but yeah. picking him at that moment it, in the, you know, a Six Nations game, it felt like there should have been a plan for that. 
like a reason for it beyond mm. not just giving him a game. Like, how is he a better option than Canner or Tommy Allen for that game that is meaningful? You know, Italy don't lose that game in, you know, quite as spectacular a fashion. You know, they... Oh, no, yeah, they... they there was a mathematical chance they, they, they might they not all, get the wooden spoon they, this they year. They always get hammered in a Diaviva. Yeah. They've, they've yeah. lost by an average of like 34 points in the past seven years, seven visits or something. So, And maybe that was the thinking, just get him, get him blooded now and then they might actually be but able I to do something. But I thought him and Violi did okay. He stood a bit too yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the coaches stand a bit too deep. It's like because... All of their first phase patterns, everybody's very deeply staggered, which is fine if you run onto it, but they didn't move. So I just jogged straight at them and choked the fuck out of them every time. However, yeah. even with that, that Garbisi he did, he put Padovani through once. He did a bit of lovely chip over the top at one point. Yeah. He, who did he put through really early on? When, when, in the first three minutes, when Murray got sent off. Oh, it yeah, was yeah, his. Yeah. It was his little pop pass that yeah. put... Uh, was it he, Padovani through? Can't remember. Maybe, yeah, I can't remember. But it was, it was, you know, it, it for a debut with two fucking top flight appearances under his belt. It was very impressive. Uh, but it's, yeah, it had its moments. It was fine. I mean, and then that fucking yeah. dummy was the greatest thing I've Honestly. ever seen in my life. <laughs> he didn't just sell him the just shop. He sold. He didn't just sell him the shop. He sold him a fucking. Thousand year lease on the building. Yeah, he sold him a mortgage, and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, very. Other than that, kind of hard to know what either side can really take from it. Like Ireland will be happy because they did what they needed to do. They got a good points difference. They got bonus points. They are still mathematically in with a shout of winning. The title. Ireland will take Keenan from it, who I thought one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, right, well. ready for it all. And they'll also take, or they should take away from it, that, that Jacob Stockdale is not under any circumstances an international fullback. No. <laughs> there was one that, kick, one kick when Italy actually got the distance and height on it right, so got the chases there. And, and he, he fucking shit his pants. He did. Yeah. His hands turned into feet as soon as he had to catch under pressure. <laughs> and basically, um, oh, the Italian kicking out of hand, man. Oh. Unbelievable, oh. that. Just proper rancid. And yet... You know, and uh, yeah, it's it's easy to look good as a winger playing fullback if all you've got to do is field kicks in acres of space and then run them yeah. back. He could literally like could have played a Sudoku on his phone before he decided <laughs> what to do with that ball. He had but the chases were literally another fucking postcode. Yeah, France, as they demonstrated, are no going to give him that much time. <laughs> he should France- never, ever, ever play fullback again. At this level. No, and certainly not next week against France because France's aerial game was exceptionally good against Wales and they regularly found themselves with two men competing against one defender for Is the it? ball and that's going to go extremely badly for Jacob Stockdale, like extremely badly. It's like, um, I mean, they're going to have to bring back sexual Rob Carney, aren't they? Is he <laughs> injured? Else? Uh, he's, he's gone to play for the fucking... Melbourne Rebels, isn't he? Has he? Not Melbourne Rebels. Uh, he's gone. He's signed for Western Force. Yeah. I missed all that. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, Must he's be the baffle puffing place. them, won't it? I think even he's a better option yeah. at fullback than Jake. I'm mean, the other thing is with Jacob Stockdale. It's that classic weakening two positions thing, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah, it he's, is, yeah. he's 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 the best winger you've got. So why'd you put him at fullback? Makes no sense. It also I hate no. that thing that 
I hate the idea that wing is in a specialist position because it is. I know people say, oh, they're all outside backs. No, they're not. Fuck off. No, they're not. This isn't rugby league yet. <laughs> yet. It used to be a bit like, like that, I think. If you go back about yeah. 15 years, not so much now. It's too technical. But Mike Haley exists. That's true. Let's not forget that Mike Haley's currently playing at fullback for Munster. Uh, has an island cap. He's only 26. He's six for three. But if you're going to give and it a go... has a place fullback. If you're going to give Perfect. it a go... Yeah. Then you gotta you might as well give it a go in that game, aren't you? But hopefully they've learned yeah. that that's not the way to go. So <laughs> You'd really hope not. And yet who else plays fullback in that squad at the moment? You know, there's really not Well they're talking about Keenan having a go there, aren't they? Yeah, Keenan or Shane Daly are your options, basically. And I don't know, man. It's it's weird. Like the only two positions that Ireland don't have, literally about seven good players for each position, a fullback and scrum half. Everything well, else they are true, fucking sorted. They've got Gary Ringrose at scrum half now. <laughs> when he's <laughs> he played fit. very well, yeah, played very well. Um, and Hooker actually, I'm not massively convinced by Heffern and Herring and Kelleher yet, but you know. It's it's still international quality players, three of them, and I they, I just genuinely don't know if they have an international quality fullback at the moment. It's weird, man. So that's Ireland, Italy. Yes. Now we can avoid it no longer. <laughs> Wales, France, and it, let's be honest, it was a warm up. So let's all calm down a bit. I mean, it was, but the Wayne Pivak era is rapidly becoming indistinguishable from the Gareth Jenkins era, but with slightly better haircuts. <laughs> like, no, Will James. Stop me if you think you've heard this one before, though, right? Well-thought-of Scarlet coach with a single <laughs> league title under his belt replaces a well-liked and historically successful coach. Uh, get, sets about putting his stamp on things by getting rid of most of the old coaches and replacing them with players and backroom staff who lack experience and quality at test level with the brief of establishing a more expansive and, inverted commas, Welsh way of playing that is fundamentally incompatible with test rugby. Um in doing so, said overpromoted Scarlet's coach fundamentally breaks everything that was good about the old way, turns him into a sloppy and disjointed mess that were occasionally capable of scintillating brilliance on attack, but mainly got battered by teams that had a bit of organisation and sense, and particularly ones that had the first fucking clean out to defend. One naive defensive tactics left us open to getting cut to ribbons on every broken play. To be honest with you, the only real difference is that Pivot should know a bit better having coached Fiji at test level for like three or four years. Um, albeit a very long time ago. And honestly, though, if you see Wales get Fiji in their World Cup group for 2023, <laughs> don't bother writing the script. We all know how it's going to fucking go. Um, I don't think the two things you describe are mutually exclusive and incompatible in that you can play a game of rugby where you hold the ball a bit more and still win games. Because I think, you know, let's be honest, Wales did have a tactic of defending like fuck for 65% of the clock. A lot of the time before, yeah, but which it won. which it worked. I'm not saying it didn't work, but there's nothing wrong with saying let's try and balance that a little bit more. The trouble is that the you're meant to keep that same ability that you did in the 65 percent before. That's the worry, yeah. isn't it? Uh, but well, Byron Hayward appears to have sat on his ass for seven months doing absolutely sweet fuck all because that's the only conclusion I can draw from the fact that Wales' defensive scheme The only is thing I even... remember about Byron Hayward was that he, he, is that he ruled himself out of being selected by Graham Henry. <laughs> he did, when, when nobody he, when, was asking. When nobody was talking about selecting him anyway. <laughs> He's literally had seven months, right, to get 
you know, it's, I think it's 230 days, right, since Wales lost to England. And, like, all, he's not changed a single thing. Constantly being too narrow and leaving loads of space for the opposition to t- track out wide. Check. Constant miscommunications when it comes to blitzing. Leaving massive fucking dog legs in the middle of the park all the fucking time. Fucking Isn't that check. mostly just Nick Tompkins' inability to work in a pattern? And Justin Tipperidge and Talibé Falleth, you know, these are fucking good players that were flying out of the line without communicating with each other. And that's the other thing, like, the total lack of communication and organisation, all it takes, like, all it took for France on, on the weekend was a couple of phases, and all of a sudden, half the back line is at the bottom of a ruck, and we've got tight five forwards out defending the wide channels. It's like, big old fucking check there, because that's exactly what happened in February, and exactly what happened in March. 15 fucking tries in four games. It's hard not to fucking love this French team. Oh, they're incredibly good. I know it's only a friendly and France are unbelievably good, but it would be nice to have some semblance. I I actually don't think they're unbelievably good. I just just think it's very hard not to love them. I just think they're they're unbelievably fun on attack and they're very, very dangerous if you give them massive fucking gaps to run through, which the Wales defence absolutely does with... And it actually did more on the weekend than it did in the game in Cardiff, which, if anything, shows they're getting worse and the further they get away from Gatlin's light. It, it is yeah, a war. I keep drawing us back to that. And, um, you know, the next World Cup's a few years away yet, if you're going to work on that score. I don't know why the I'm trying to make is, you like, feel fucking better. But. Well, the reality is, like, as you say, there was supposed to be a balance here, right? We'll hold on to the ball, we'll play more attacking rugby, and we'll defend. We're not doing either. No, that's true. They, look, well, yeah. they were terrible in attack. They were shambolic at the set piece. The kicking game was the worst I've seen for years. And I, I noted and, on the um, Ireland's ability to bring Keenan into the line and actually get him on the ball. And I know yeah. opposition and all that, but hmm. compared to how Wales singularly cannot... Because every time North got the ball, he looked reasonable. He looked really lively. But they've got and... no pattern to get him involved that isn't just, I'll stand no. out here so you can somehow get it to me. Type That's thing. the pattern. And, the, you know, it was the same with fucking Reece Samit. Like, he got that one run, hit the afterburners, and everybody went, ooh. <laughs> so that speed does translate to test level then. Jesus fucking Christ. And Teddy Thomas went, and... I don't like people running at me. <laughs> yes. I'm not, that's not what I do. I don't, I don't no, have the people I don't like the look of this at all. But, you know, that was the only time he touched the ball. And I know he didn't have long, but like, well, like you said, that France team are far from the finished article. And Wales made them look like the fucking All Blacks. As a friend and of mine. I mean the real All Blacks, not the weird tribute act Wayne Foster's coaching at the moment. The um, I'll tell you what, though. I love James Davis, right? Because I want more people at international elite rugby level that look like a member of the public who's a full kit wanker. Because <laughs> that is exactly... Honestly, I haven't seen James Davis as he's grown his hair out a bit. And, the, and the, as awful. the camera passed past him, I was awful. like... Who's that bloke there who looks who's like in a kit as he come as he steps out of the crowd or something? Why is he even there? Oh shit, it's James Davis. I've never seen anybody look less like an international forward. He genuinely he like the that like James Davis is a really good player, right? Mm. However, he absolutely looks like he does not he look does not look like a fucking rugby player. He looks like someone who's won a competition. He does. And it's it, like he looks just, like the third best pool player in the league team in your pub. Is what he looks like. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and that haircut's not helping. No, it isn't. 
But yeah, I just I knew I know that post Gatland life was always going to be difficult, but it didn't have to be this. You know, it yeah. reeks of everyone's out of their depth. The whole playing a wealth the Welsh way thing that was literally exactly what Gareth Davis said in two thousand and seven. Have they actually said that? Yeah, it's it's the we want to establish a more traditional Welsh. It's come from the WIU because the WIU is sick of ex players and armchair pundits calling Gatlin's Wales boring. But Gatlin's Wales were one kick away from a fucking World Cup final a year ago, almost exactly, and had won a Grand Slam. And they've had no major retirements. They've got the deepest pool of players to choose from since the 70s. And it's bordering vandalism, to be honest. Like, people saying give it time. It's like most of the time when you give a bad coach time, all you get is worse even um, next week, Scotland. Yeah, going to lose that, definitely. Congratulations <laughs> to Scotland on their first win in Cardiff since the invention of the fucking traction engine or whatever the fuck it is. But um, yeah, fifth place in the Six Nations, probably. It seems almost certain now. Uh, first time since Gambling Rob was in charge in 2017. I will say, ladies uh, and gentlemen, I'm kind of sorry I brought this up now. <laughs> <laughs> that was Wales' worst defeat to a European team since 2007. Which it's conveniently a again was when was when Gareth Jenkins was in charge and we lost sixty two five to England. Was that a warm up? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> France were great. France were really good. Dupont you know, fair play to them. Wonder, He's the best player in the world. I genuinely think he might be edging into best player in the world territory now. He's terrifying. His good. pace over twenty five meters is quite um, something. It's terrifying. You cannot give him any space at all, and if you give him a fucking gap the size of the seven crossing yeah then it's all very very good and he always it? seems to know what to do with it once he's in space yeah, there's absolutely no panic whatsoever he seems to know and he exactly. runs magnificently good support lines as well oh. he's just sex just sensationally he's, good his head is absolutely massive <laughs> how much of his like display volume is his head i tell you what his, his torso is massive as well that's true like he's got quite tiny little legs and arms a big old torso and a big old head. Beautiful. It's not a tradition. It's not classic scrum off proportions, not, but it, it works. No. It doesn't look like it should have a lot of craft, but my god, it does. Uh, uh, we've got yeah. to move on to shit. Good, we've been here for fucking forever yeah. in a day. What have you got that's shit? Um, Ryan Elias. I've never seen him play well, even for the Scarlets. I don't understand the point of him. <laughs> How is the second best fucking hooker at the Scarlets better than all of the first choice hookers at the other regions? I don't think that makes sense because he's it? not. Um, what have we got here? Shit from Twitter. My shit was about not getting George North in the game. I've already covered that. Um, a rugby person says shit is Ireland's first choice scrum half, Gary Ringrose, having a fucked jaw. <laughs> yes, very good. Lee gets in touch on the uh, Patreon messages and he says shit is Rob Shaw on the Saracens. Bar bars is all about yeah. partying, blah, blah, blah. He said, except, of course, during a pandemic when you've apparently signed agreements not to go out and party. One million pound loss, etc. Well done, boys. I hope the pint was worth it, says Lee. And this is the thing. People have sort of said that, you know, you've got to have a bit of sympathy for these guys. They just wanted to go out and socialise. And blah, no. Blah, blah, blah. That's what, no, I've got no sympathy for them at all. I've got no sympathy. If the, rest of, yeah. if the rest of us are being made to fucking stay indoors and not go to the pub, then... And you as a professional athlete have certain, I don't know, I've just got no sympathy whatsoever. I just think it's fucking stupid. 
No, I've got no sympathy either. Um, I I can understand it happens. I can understand it. I understand it happens. But, so I'm not gonna and I'm yeah. not and I'm not gonna be all holier than thou about it. But um, yeah, it's fucking stupid, and you're gonna get a load of lumps, and that's fine. Robbie Lee Miller, get, Miller gets in touch. He says, shit, is Glasgow. That was a pretty strong squad considering those in the Scotland camp, and I'm scared for us playing Leinster next week. So, but yeah, however, I went, Hugh Jones I went into that. found some form. I went into that Wales game feeling quite chipper because the Ospreys had actually won a game and mm. been quite competent with it. Um, and then Wales just fucked it, obviously. Have you got any more shit? Um, democracy. <laughs> namely, well, okay, um, but namely anything specific? World, <laughs> namely the fact that Johnny Sexton's currently winning the World Rugby Player of the Decade vote, despite the other two candidates being Richie McCaw and Dan Carter. Now, get it, they both retired in 2015, but they both retired in 2015 having won two Rugby World Cups in that decade and also basically being the best players of their generation in both of their positions. I mean, ca- just stop letting people choose stuff. They can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to good. We're out of time. Yeah. My good is, did you see any of Chile versus Brazil? I didn't, know. Chile. I did see that one pass. I did see that pass. Well, the one-handed one? Yeah. Yeah, the Chile versus Brazil, the the final try, when, they did the, when he did a one-handed pass inside, then the bloke... And the, the winger cut in from the right on a scissor behind a bloke who did a one-handed pass to him, and then the winger hit the most beautiful diagonal grubber kick towards a left post. Their outside half went to run to score it. It bobbled up. It bounced off his knee. So he inadvertently kicked it into in goal. And at which point his support following up managed to score. It was the absolute perfect blend of craft and ramshackle awfulness that can make rugby such a wonderful sport. That's what I want. That's what I want from us. But speaking of ramshackle meets competence, is Kyle Fiku properly good now? In that second half, I found myself increasingly thinking those exact things. Okay, because he, we know, we all know the rules. He has one good game a season where he looks like a really good international centre, but he's had several of them this year now. And like, exactly. not just as you, he's not even just being like the workman, like defensive dude. Now there was some lovely passing and some lovely well, like touches. Do you remember when he first appeared and everyone good. went, "Oh, this fucking lad's going to be good"? Exactly, and then he wasn't. <laughs> and now you're he's, like he's sort of the pendulum is swinging back towards and it wasn't ooh. his size and defensive capability that made you go ooh when you first no, saw it no it really wasn't yeah. whereas now you're, as you said you're starting to see a bit more but he was fucked about he played on the wing a lot didn't he and he's not a winger yeah and, um, but yeah, yeah as, a, as a 12 outside of of DuPont and Untermack fucking hell and Edwards has obviously is. told him he's fucking ace yeah that's all he needed to be told and yeah and he believes it because he's Really good now. What else we got? That's good here. Jack Hurst says good was the final, considering the weather. Yeah, yes. yeah. It was. You wouldn't have actually if you couldn't see the weather and you saw what was happening, apart from a few handling errors. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, it was it, a really to be fair to credit to well both teams for that game. not being yeah. a total fucking shambles weather-wise. Miles Burley says good is that Teddy Tom our chip and try. Yes, lovely little bit of. Uh, as a friend of as a friend of ours said, you always get those moments with Teddy where you get reminded that imagine if he actually paid any attention to being a better rugby player, how good he could actually be. <laughs> yeah, it's never gonna happen, though, is it? He is what he is. Let's enjoy the bits that we have. Long Starbird says, "Good is France finally." Yeah, 
Forbidden Planet's Phil Lewis says that good was Northern Hemisphere Test Rugby is back. He said, but shit is that I'm Welsh. I think Josh has covered that, Phil. Have I? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Anna says that good is France. I'm so excited by how good they're going to be. He said, also good is Entermax hair. It was a wonderful, wonderful mane He's that he had, wasn't it? He's got unbelievably wonderful hair. And also, like, it gets a little bit scruffy, and he just runs his hand through it, and it goes into a perfect quaffered thing I'm, again. I mean, all... I'm in awe of people whose hair is that dense that it just sort of sits on the head like a sort of fabulous pompadour. It's yeah, and he yeah. Pulls, he picks himself up from the bottom of a rock and literally just and like, a just magic goes, wand, like a magic wand, like a magic wand wipes his hand through his hair. <laughs> yeah. Johnny says, "Good is Ringrose at nine, Yeah. He said, "Is there anything he can't do apart from potentially <laughs> chew at the minute?" <laughs> <laughs> Eat, eat a sausage from a chippy. Apparently. <laughs> oh, he yeah. can. That's a big giveaway, yeah. <laughs> James Gorkwood, he says, good was the wasp performance, especially given the events in the run-up. Yeah, that's easily forgotten, Yeah, isn't big it? style. And uh, what difference may Brad Shields have made to that game? Hmm. Um, yeah. And the Umanga try and the defence. Yeah, the Umanga try was, was fucking lovely. Lovely, wasn't it? Ooh, that angle, man. <laughs> looks looks the fucking... Looks a he real looks prospect. Like, like, when people have been talking this week about kind of the people Eddie Jones haven't picked. It's like, I sort of understand why he hasn't picked Sam Simmons because he wants to have a look at hmm. Umaga. Because, yeah, he looks a bit special, doesn't he? Matt Herbert says, finally, good Stephen Myler's performance. And yeah. seeing Osprey supporters joining Sate supporters in the Stephen Myler Appreciation Society. Not a fashionable right, player, but just gets the job done and helps others look good. He's the antithesis of a fancy pompadour head haircut, you know. His also haircut looks, also stays the same. But the more I see reasons. him, the more I realize he looks like a peripheral Thunderbird. <laughs> like, the one who did he Thunderbird, look, the one who probably he, flew like you, Thunderbird 3, the shit you, one or something. If you, if you tied some sort of fishing wire to his hands and did that with him, he would have mega Thunderbird, like marionette <laughs> vibes. And that, I think, is us. Oh, 100%, yeah. Jesus Christ, yes. Thank you so much, everybody, for all your contributions. And thank you, Josh. And we will speak to you all after a Six Nations weekend, which is coming up this weekend. Yeah, final weekend. Congratulations, England, on winning the Six Nations. <laughs> they can't. No, if. Oh, no. If Ireland win by a bonus point, they win, don't they? Uh, yeah, Ireland, if, either Ireland or, if either Ireland or France have a bonus point, they win it. Otherwise, England win it. Oh, you'd fancy basically. France, wouldn't you? I mean, I if they play, if if they they can, if uh, let's just say whoever Ireland picks at fullback is going to have a big old fucking bearing on who's going to win the Six Nations this weekend. <laughs> well, anyway, good luck in your second cap. Enjoy, uh, Hugo. Indeed. <laughs> Speak to you soon. <laughs> bye bye. Take care. This year, Leaving Certificate students have new choices via the CAO. Whether you're going straight into the world of work or exploring routes to third level, further education and training and apprenticeships offer you flexible, hands-on learning opportunities. The future is full of possibilities. Whatever your ambition, further education and training and apprenticeships can help take you there. Your future is what you make it. Learn more at cao.ie forward slash options. This is an initiative of the Government of Ireland. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.